Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, as we continue in our study of the, the gospel of Luke, we've been seeing, though we've been seeing the, uh, that Luke presents Jesus as the perfect Son of God, the Savior, the sacrifice, and the substitute for the sins of the world. Now, we're seeing the early days of the ministry. He is near the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. Now, for the last several studies, here's what we've been seeing. We've got, we saw, first of all, his rejection at Nazareth. He come, came to his hometown, and what did they say? We know your, we knew your mother, we, we know your mother, we knew your father, we know your brothers and sisters. So they rejected him. Then we, we saw, uh, he went to Capernaum. That's where he set up his headquarters, and they were amazed at his teaching and in his power. Just incredible things. Well, this morning we're continuing. We're going to see several key aspects in ministry. In fact, one of the key aspects, it's the calling of his first disciples. Peter and Andrew, James and John joined Jesus and began to follow him. They've been fishing. But he's going to call them to be fishers of men. And as we study this passage, I want you to think about several issues. Here's first of all, we want to see Jesus and his power over nature. We're going to see that. Then we're going to see the contrast. And this is a key. The contrast between being a believer and being a disciple. There is a difference. And we'll talk more about it. And then the last thing that we'll see is the calling of the first disciple. So there's some great things that we want to be encouraged. We want to be encouraged this morning to be disciples of Jesus Christ as we look at our at the Word of God. Now, we realize that God has given to each of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, He has given to us a commission. We often call it the Great Commission. It's found in all four Gospels and also in the book of Acts. What is this commission? The famous one, of course, is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where it says, Jesus came up and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. The Great Commission has evangelism and, and training involved in it. We lead people to Christ and then train them and equip them to know the Word of God and do the same thing. As we think about these truths, we understand there is a contrast between salvation and discipleship. There's a contrast between trusting Jesus Christ as Savior and having eternal life and then serving Him and being a disciple. We realize this, and you know this, salvation costs us nothing. It is a gift. We, we receive salvation by faith. We take the gift of eternal life. But discipleship costs us our lives. We take up our cross and follow Christ. So there is a difference between salvation, which is a gift that anyone just believing in Jesus Christ has eternal life, but discipleship is where you say, Lord, I want my life to count for you, and you take up your cross and follow Jesus. This morning, we're going to see in our study this contrast, because Peter and Andrew and James and John, they've already trusted in Jesus Christ as Messiah and Savior. They have seen him. They, they saw him change the water to wine at Cana of Galilee. It's not in the Gospel of Luke. It's in the Gospel of, of John, but they've already seen these. They have believed in him for eternal life. Today, Jesus calls them to follow him, to be his disciples. May we understand this great truths and we understand our passage. Well, let's begin. We're in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is most likely, best we can tell, he's staying in Capernaum. That's his headquarters. He is near the Sea of Galilee. He's going around teaching in the synagogues and he's teaching the Word of God. A number of things stand out in our passage. Let me break down the study for you this passage this morning. First of all, verses 1 through 3, Jesus teaches by the sea. Then Jesus tells Peter to go fishing. I like that. Go fishing. You know, the response by Peter and others at this great catch 
much. It was amazement when they saw all of the fish. Then the fourth thing is Jesus gives the charge to, his, to, to be disciples. He says, I want you to be fishers of men. I want you to follow me. And the men follow Jesus. So that's our passage. We're going to see that. It's a short passage. It's only 11 verses, but there's a lot there. Now, let's see what happens. Jesus has been going from town to town, going to the synagogues, teaching the Bible, teaching the gospel. Sometimes it's called the gospel of the kingdom. Sometimes it's called the gospel. The gospel. And one of the things I think we have to realize, and we're going to see it in this passage, because even verse 1 talks about they were listening, they were pressing around him, they were hearing the word of God. That's what he did. He taught the Bible. Now, he knew the, he wrote it. He knew it was the Scripture, and he taught it. And that's one of the things that sometimes people get confused about. They think that Jesus went around and told, told a bunch of stories. Jesus didn't go around te- teaching and telling a bunch of stories. He taught the Word of God. Now, as we look at him, he did give some parables and some stories, but it was in response to his teaching, and we're going to see that. Well, this morning he is by the Sea of Galilee. Let's see what happens. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the Word of God, God, he was standing by the Sea of Gennesaret. Now, this is going to be very important because Luke is going to tell us two things that happened. They're going to see again the power of Jesus over nature. We're going to also see him call his disciples. People are coming to hear him teach the Word of God. Notice what it says. The crowd was pressing around him and listening to the Word of God. Now, the word pressing is really a strong word. It means pushing. It means forcing. They were all coming up and it just they kept getting more and more. And I don't know, he's standing probably at the edge of the water and there's the Sea of Galilee behind here is all the people and they're getting closer and you can almost see them saying could y'all stand back just a little bit you can see some of the people saying could y'all stand back but they're getting closer and the word actually means forcing they're forcing around him they're pushing on him so it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God now as I said a while ago that's the key He's teaching the Bible. The key over and over is the Word of God. And that's why we have to do the same thing. We have to teach the Bible. That's why at Countryside, whether it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, whatever we do, whatever, whether it's CBI or whatever, the goal is to teach the Scripture because that's the key. That's what we need. Well, he's standing. It says he was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret. Now, the Lake of Gennesaret is just another name for the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. Sometimes it's called that. Israel was divided into three parts. The northern part of Israel was called Galilee. The middle part was called Samaria. And the southern part was called Judea. Now, the northern part called Galilee had the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes it was called the Sea of Gennesaret. Sometimes it was called that. It, uh, Luke calls it that here. It says that he was standing by the, the lake, by the sea. And and all these people are pushing there. They're trying to hear him teach. And look what happens. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them. And they were washing their nets. And he saw two boats by the edge there. And what we find out as we look through the passage, the boats, one of the boats belonged to, to Peter and Andrew. The other boat belonged to James and John. Now, we know them. We all say, oh, yeah, Peter and Andrew are brothers, and James and John are brothers. And obviously, they were partners. We're going to see it as we go through this. They worked together. They had two boats, and they were in the fishing business. And I'm sure what they would do is they'd go out, usually at night. That's when they fished. They'd go out at night. They would fish. They'd come in. They'd take their catch, and they'd sell it. That's how they made their living. So these, these two sets of brothers are partners. 
And it says that he saw these two boats lying at the edge of the lake. And, and these were the boats that belonged to Peter and Andrew and James and John. And it said this, but the fishermen, doesn't name them right there, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and they were washing their nets. Now, as you know, that, the, the, that at that day and time, fishing was done at night and they would go out and they would drop these big nets and they would try to scoop up the fish and then bring them in. And then when the morning came, they would come into the shore, they would take care of their fish and they would clean their nets. That's what they're doing. They're washing their nets because as they drug it along, there, all kind of things would get caught in there and they had to get them ready to go out the next time. Notice it doesn't say that they were there cleaning, collecting, counting their fish. It says they were cleaning their nets. Because what we're going to find out is they did not have a good night. They went out there and they caught nothing. And you can see them the next morning saying, you know, this was not a good night. This was, this was tough. Because now we don't have anything to sell. What are we going to do? You know, we, we did not have a good night. And it says they were there cleaning their nets. They were partners working together to make a living. Now, I want you to understand something. Sometimes if you read like Matthew and you see that Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and Andrew and James and John and he stops and says, follow me. And, and, and all Matthew tells us is they put down everything and followed him. And sometimes if you read it that way, you think, wow, he just walked along. Here's these four guys who don't even know him. And he looks at them and says, follow me. And they go, we're going to follow him. That's not accurate at all. They've been with Jesus for a long time. They've already seen Jesus change the water to wine at Cana of Galilee. They've most likely been with, with him in Jerusalem. They've seen some of the things that he's done. They have believed in him already as Messiah and Savior. But they're not serving him in a sense that they're following him. They still went back to their regular jobs. When they went back to the northern part of Israel, they went back to fishing. That's how they make a living. So Jesus is a teacher. He's going around teaching. And Peter and Andrew and James and John, if you said to them, who is he? They'd say, we believe he's the Messiah. We trusted in him. But they're not following him in that sense. So notice, it says that uh, the, two, the fishermen were out there and they were washing their nets. They have believed in Jesus, but they are not disciples. We'll call, talk about it more in just a second. Verse 3, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Now you can see him go over to Simon and say, can we use your boat for a minute? And it's not, they're not big boats. Usually it could hold two to three to four people at the most, these, these little fishing boats. Uh, in Biblical Archaeology Review, about ten years ago, they found a boat that was preserved at the Sea of Galilee, the, the water's sinking, and they found a boat that was almost completely preserved, and they believe it was the kind of boat that the two or three guys would be in to do their fishing, and they've got it preserved pretty well. And so if, sometimes if you want to go look, we've still got a lot of the, the things in the library. You can go online to Biblical Archaeology Review and look up fishing boats. They They'll, find, they'll show you that little boat. And so he probably turned to Peter and said, let, let me use your boat. So he got in the boat, asked Peter to push out a little bit from the shore. So they pushed out a little bit, and Jesus is in this boat. Now, notice what it says. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Now, he's sitting down. Most likely the people are standing on the shore so they can hear him. And he's teaching. Now, notice this time we call him Peter, but he got, his name is Simon Peter. Jesus is the one who gave him the name Peter. His name was Simon and Jesus in Luke chapter 6 verse 14 says, I'm going to call you Petras, which means rock, rocky. He calls him rocky, you know, from this point on. And it's going to be chapter 6 where he does that, but at this time he's just he's Simon's boat. Notice what happened. He began teaching the people from the boat. 
Wow. Now, what's going to happen? You know, it's amazing that he doesn't tell us anything that Jesus taught. The emphasis that Luke wants us to see is, first of all, his power over nature and the calling of the disciples. So notice what happens. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out of the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. When he had finished teaching, he said to Simon, Push on out into the deep water and then let down your nets. Now, he's basically telling Peter to go fishing. Now, he knew that Peter had caught nothing. He knew that they had fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus knows everything. Even if he hadn't just talked to them, he knows everything. And so it's most likely mid-morning. He says, let's push out of the deep water and let down the nets. Now, there are all kind of different nets. There were some nets that, that one person could hold, and he would go out on the edge of the water, and he would throw that net in and pull it out and see if he could catch fish. There were these big nets that sometimes they would put them between two boats, and they would just move along, and they would just sort of scoop up. Obviously, this is a big net that, that he's got... Uh, and throw the two guys, we can't tell who it is, but it's most likely Simon and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, and they throw the net over. He says, put your net down and, and for a catch. Now, Peter's the fisherman, and Jesus is the carpenter. And Peter has fished all night. And if you said to Peter, I know how to fish. It's sort of like Bob Barker. Uh, Bob's a fisherman, and I know nothing. And it'd be like me telling Bob, hey, Bob, I want you to get in the boat, and I want you to go right over there, and I want you to catch something. And Bob would look at me and say, Jimmy, you don't know anything about lures. You don't know anything about this. You don't know about when. This is not the right time. It's not the right place. You really don't know what you're talking about. Now, in a sense, Jesus is telling the fisherman who does it for a living, he's saying, go on out in the middle and let down your nets. And you could see that Peter probably thought, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Why is he asking us to do this? Because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Simon answered and said, verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night. And we caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now, the word master there is very special. It means, it literally means high standing. He, says, he uses great respect with Jesus. And, and he says to him, Master, the truth is you, we worked hard all night. That's when you catch them. That's when you catch them. And we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. So you're wanting us to go out. We went out at the best time and caught nothing. You want us to go out at the worst time and catch something. But, 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 whatever you say, we'll do. We'll let down the nets. You know, it's always a good idea to do whatever Jesus says. <laughs> even, even if it doesn't look like it ought to be the smartest thing. You know, you look at life and he says, you know, if you want to gain your life, what do you do? You lose it. If you want to be great, you have to become a servant. You go, that doesn't sound exactly right. And Jesus says, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. I made the whole heavens and the earth and you, and I created all things, and I work all things according to the counsel of my will. If I tell you if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant, guess what? You're going to have to be a servant if you want to be great. And so it's a good idea to always do whatever he says. And we have the Word of God, and he has principles and truths by us, and they are contrary to our culture. They are. They're contrary to the natural thoughts of human beings. They're contrary to our culture. But if you want to do what God says, and if you want to have success in life, you do what God says. You live according to the Scripture. And when I say success, I'm not talking about money and power and prestige. I'm talking about glorifying God in your life. He says, well, Master, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. 
When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. Now, this is not normal. This is not even possible. They're, they're saying, wait a minute, this is the wrong time of day. The fish aren't supposed to be where they We put the nets down, and all of a sudden, we can't even pull them up. And as we start trying to pull them up, the nets are just stretching out with all these fish, and, it, and it's actually, they're beginning to break. And what we can see right here is the power of Jesus over nature. Now, we've already seen that he has the power to forgive sins. We see that he has the power to, uh, to, to raise the dead. He has the power to heal people. He has the power over demons. We see he has the power over nature. He can do anything. I mean, God can do anything. You know, you remember the Old Testament passages where he stops the sun? He can do anything he wants to do. There is nothing that God cannot do unless it is contrary to his character or his promises. See, he can't lie. <clears throat> can't lie. Say, can God do everything? No, he can't do everything because he can't lie. He'll never go contrary to his character or to his promises. But all of a sudden, they start trying to pull this up, and there are so many fish. He can make the fish come, and they all just gather together, and they put them in that net. He is the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer. He is all-powerful. Well, what did they do? Verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats, so they began to sink. Now, the word signal there meant to beckon with the head. It's like they're pulling and they're going, get over here, help us. And you can see it was James and John. They were going, what in the world? And they got in the boat to come out there, their boat. They signaled for their partners. And this is a special word. It means people who are connected together, people who feel this, this companionship and this partnership, and they're together. And so they signaled for their partners, come out there. And they came over to help them, and they began to fill both of the boats. So they began to sink as they tried to pull these fish out and try to say, well, okay, let's put them in two different boats. Suddenly there's so many fish, the boats are beginning to sink down in the water. Water, and they begin to realize, wait a minute, we put all these fish in here, the boats are going under. What in the world is going on here? And you know what they realize, of course. Jesus is God. And they knew that. I mean, yeah, they knew, they saw him change the water to wine, and they've seen him do some things already, and, and you know, they've been, but, I mean, this is so magnificent that, that Peter's going to stop and go, ah, this is, this is, this is beyond me. And by the way, this is not any kind, this is not even saying we had a great catch. This is beyond anything they've ever caught. So how does Peter respond? And you know, it's a point that, that when you realize who Jesus is, and when you get close to him and you see his character, we do the same thing Peter does. Watch what Peter does. But when Simon Peter, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw that, when he saw this, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, he's going to worship Jesus, but look what he says. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He fell down at his feet. He knows who he is. He sees that his great power. He sees that he's God. He sees he's got the power to control nature. He can provide. He can do anything. And what does he say? Go away. I'm sinful. He says, listen, I'm not worthy to even be close to you. I'm not worthy to be in the same boat with you. You're God. You're, you're all powerful. You're everything. And, and here I am with you and, and I know what I'm like. And so, Lord, just go away because I'm, I'm a sinful man. He saw his sin. You know, the closer we see who Jesus really is, the more we'll see our sin. Because we realize he's perfect. When we see Jesus as the perfect son of God, we go, 
we don't we don't we're not even close to that i mean we're not even in the ballpark with that we we're not in the league with that the truth is that's the way we feel he's the perfect sinless son of god and we're fallen sinful people when you see the glory of jesus you won't be strutting around saying i bet god's glad he's got me on his side because the truth is it's the grace of god we're even alive His glory and power and magnitude and majesty. It could destroy us all. And in His grace and mercy and His love, He lets us be close to Him. Peter says, Lord, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You remember what Isaiah said when he said, I saw the throne of God. He was high and lifted up and the cherubim were going, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And they were flying around. And what did he say? He said, I am a man of what? Unclean lips. First thing he recognized was when he saw the glory of God as his sin. Daniel was standing by the river and Jesus appeared to him, or God appeared to him. Most likely Jesus appeared to him by the river and as soon as Daniel saw him, he fainted. Peter is saying, I'm sinful. The closer we get to God, the more we see our sin. But he is adequate. He will take us and use us and love us and we come to him by faith and we belong to him and he will take us any of us in this room, and he will use us for his glory. God uses sinful people because God uses people and all people are sinful. He loves us and wants to use us. Notice verse 9. It says, For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. The word amazement is the Greek word phobia. We get phobia from it. It means fear. Fear seized him, not just amazement, not just that he was shocked, but he was afraid at the same time because he was seeing the power and the majesty of God. That's called awe. People say, there used to be an old saying, people say they're a God-fearing person. And that didn't mean like they were afraid God was going to kill them all the time. It just meant that they understood the character and the awesomeness of God. And, of course, uh, the Bible uses the idea that God is awesome. And our culture has taken the word awesome, and they use it for everything. Awesome piece of pie, awesome music, awesome this. And, and it becomes nothing. It means almost nothing now. I, I, don't, I try not to use the word awesome except when I describe my Savior. Because there's some really good pieces of pie. But there's only one awesome God. And amazement had seized them. It came over him. And all his companions, because of the catch of fish which they had taken, I mean, this is powerful because they've seen his power over disease and over demons and now over nature. And then Luke gives us some more information. He says, and also, so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, from now on you'll be catching men. Now let me give you something. It says, and so also were James and John, son of Zebedee. This passage doesn't mention Andrew. If you go to one of the other Gospels, Andrew is with them. For some reason, Luke just doesn't tell us about Andrew. But there are actually four of them there. There's Andrew and Simon and James and John. It says, they were also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So these four men were partners together. You know, James and John, best we can also tell, they were connected with their father because one of the other Gospels says they turned to their father and they left everything. So there's a connection there. He says to them, now notice, Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. Now this is a turning point in the life of Peter and Andrew, and James, and John. 
And in our lives, there is a turning point. Now, salvation is a gift, and we trust in Jesus Christ, and that's, that's the greatest change of our lives. We go from death to life, from being in darkness to light. We have eternal life. But as a believer, there needs to be a turning point in your life. As a believer, and that turning point is when you come to the realization that your life needs to count for Christ. That you're going to say to God, I want my life to count for you. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I will live for you. My life is yours. This is what's going to happen to these men this day. It's a turning point. Watch what it says. It says, and also James and John, sons of David, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, watch what he says, do not fear. Literally, stop being afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Now, he says, I got something for you to do. See, when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, the truth is he's got something for us to do. He says, Peter, from now on you'll be catching men. He has a plan for these men. He wants them no longer to be catching fish but catching people. Now, there's something you can't tell in English but in the Greek. The word for catching, when it says you'll be catching men, that word is a unique word. It means to catch alive. He's saying from now on, instead of catching these fish, these old dead fish and giving them, you're going to be catching live people. You're going to be giving them life. See, when people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, see, He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He gives eternal life. He says from now on, you're going to be catching live men. And that's God's plan. To take us and to use us to catch people, to give them life. Life comes through Jesus Christ by faith in Him. That's our message. What do we say? Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is a call to discipleship. These, people, these guys, they already believed in Jesus. They've already seen Him change the water to wine. They've done other things. I mean, if you go back and start looking through the gospel, especially the gospel of John, the gospel of John has a whole bunch of things in the first part of the ministry that the others don't have. So he gives us more information. Luke says to us, Jesus said, don't fear, from now on you're going to be catching men. It's a discipleship call. He's saying, from now on I want you to be with me, and I'm going to use you to catch people. You've been catching fish, and you're good at that. But guess what? You're going to be catching people, and you're going to be good at that. We've been called to be disciples. See, these men have believed in Jesus. Now they're going to be with him. Today he calls them to follow him. Salvation is a gift. Discipleship cost. And by the way, all of us are called to be disciples. That's what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is to make disciples. Not just make believers. Make disciples. The idea is we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, and then we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Then we live for Him. That's the whole idea of taking up our cross and following Him. That's the whole idea of saying, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. So every one of us in this room, I hope and pray, every one of you in this room had believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. It costs you nothing. It's a gift. God says, I give you eternal life. What do I have to do? Nothing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. But then he calls every one of us to say, I want you to live for me. I want you to take up your cross and follow me. I want you to die to yourself and live for me. That's what he's doing with these guys. 
Do not fear. From now on you'll be catching men. What do they do? Look what they did. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They're not going to go back to fishing. You know the next time they go back to fishing? It's after it's all over. Jesus says the ministry dies on the cross, pays for sin, rises again. And later in John chapter 20 and 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they go fishing and there's Jesus on the shore waiting for them. And he basically says to Peter, what do you think you guys are doing? What are you doing fishing, fishing? You're supposed to be fishing for men. Feed my sheep, Peter. That's why Peter, that's why he asked Peter three times, do you love me more than this? More than these fish? Go look at John 21. See what you find there. They left everything and followed him. What do we see? They left everything and followed him. We're going to see this contrast. See, they, they left from being fishermen to being disciples. There is a contrast between being a believer and being a disciple. Let's talk about the whole idea of salvation. First of all, salvation is a gift. It costs us absolutely nothing. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now listen carefully. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, if you could do something for salvation, if you had to walk down an aisle, if you had to agree to serve God, if you had to live for Him, if you had to get baptized, you could boast. You could say, I was willing to do that. But salvation is not anything you can boast in. You don't do anything to be saved. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. It's by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not based on our works or our faithfulness, but His work. There's some verses, I've got Romans 4, 5, to him who does not work but believes. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His mercy. Romans 11:6. 6, if it is grace, it is no longer works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. Galatians 2, 16, a man's not justified by works, but by faith. Over and over, you see it in the Scripture, there are over 150 places in the New Testament that tells us we're saved by faith alone. It's a gift. And I hope and pray that everyone in this room have received the gift of eternal life. But there's a second aspect, and that's discipleship. And discipleship costs us. Following Jesus costs us our lives. That's why he talks about taking up our cross. We offer our lives. I think there's some verses we've got. Mark 8, 24, it says, Take up your cross and follow me. To take up the cross in that day and time meant to die to yourself because the cross was the place of death. It'd be like saying, Take up the lethal injection. Take up the gas chamber. Take up the electric chair and follow me. He's saying, Die to yourself. And that cost you. You know what it cost you? It cost you your life. It cost you everything. It costs you your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he says, I beseech you, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. You say to God, God, I give you my life. This is the turning point in our lives. Now, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was 19 years old. And, and, and up to that time, I thought you had to be good to go to heaven, and I tried to do good things, and I came to the realization that I was sinful, and the wages of sin was death, and not anything that I could ever do to get me salvation. And I took the gift of eternal life, which is simply by faith. It cost me nothing. When I was 25, 26, I came to the realization that I really should live for Jesus Christ. And so I offered my life as a living sacrifice to him when I was about 26, 25 years old. 
And I have never been the same. That was the turning point in my Christian life. My prayer for you is that I hope, first of all, that every one of you in this room have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life and that you're saved and you're saved forever and it costs you absolutely nothing. But today, for some of you, there are many of you who have already come to the same point that I did and you said, I just want my life to count for Christ. Lord, I give you my life. And you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You've counted the cost in a sense. You've taken up your cross and followed Jesus. But there may be many of you in this room who have not done that. And today could be the turning point in your life. It's the beginning of a new year. Why don't you say to God, Lord, you've given me eternal life. You know more about the future and life. And you work all things according to the counsel of your will. Lord, I give you my life to serve you for as long as you want me on this earth. You will never be the same. These guys were never the same. They, see, they were already believers, but guess what? They're still fishing. But after this, they're never the same. And if you come to the point in your life where you say to God, I just want my life to count for you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I give you my life in service. You will never be the same. There are two different things here. One's the gift, the other is works. One gives eternal life, that's faith, that's salvation. The other gives rewards because as you serve Jesus Christ and you live for him, he will reward. I hope you've all trusted Christ. I hope and pray that you will offer your lives as living sacrifices so that you can serve him. I've never been the same. It was a turning point. It's a turning point in these guys' lives. I hope and pray that if you hadn't already come to that turning point, that today you will say, Lord, I want my life to count for you. What have we seen? Jesus teaches by the sea. He uses Peter's boat, tells Peter to fish, and they go out. They get so many fish they can't hold them. Peter sees the sinfulness. Jesus calls Peter and the others to be fishers for men, and they follow Jesus. Let me give you some applications. We'll go very quickly through them. First of all, realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Savior. When we see Jesus for who he is and realize he came to this earth, he's the Son of God, he died on the cross, he's the Savior and the Messiah, he is the one who gives us eternal life. First of all, A, he's God. That's who he is. He has the power over nature, the power over the demons, the power over disease. He taught with authority. When he taught the Word of God, they were amazed at his authority. When he healed people, when he did all of these things, they were amazed. He is God. Second, trust Christ as Savior. If there's anyone in this room who has never believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, right now... You can believe in Him. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to make some kind of commitment. You, don't. you simply trust in Christ to give you eternal life. He is the Savior. He is offering to you the gift of eternal life. And it costs us nothing. Trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Second, uh, third on this, become a disciple of Christ. For all of us who know Christ, offer our lives. Say to God, God, I want my life to count for you. Now, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. We're going to get a little bit later in one of the Gospels, and he talks about putting the hand to the plow and not looking back. And he talks about counting the cost when he says, if you're a king and you're going to go to war, count the cost to make sure you've got enough soldiers and that kind of thing. Well, if you're going to be a disciple for Jesus Christ, you better count the cost because it's going to cost you your life. Now, it's the greatest thing you could ever do, and you'll never be the same. It'll be the turning point of your life. But this is the key. Become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You will never be the same. Second application, big one. Let's be catching people. 
Let's be catching people. Hey, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're sent out as his ambassadors. We're to tell them the good news message. We're to become fishers of people. Three things. Know the message. Know the gospel. Know what it is. Jesus died and rose again, gives eternal life to all who believe. Pray for the opportunities. Think about the people, the neighbor, neighbors, the friends, the people you work with. Pray for opportunities to tell them. And when the time comes, give them the message of grace. It's a grace message. Don't talk to them about discipleship. That's different than salvation. We're talking about salvation. Give them the grace message. It cost them nothing. Jesus died and rose again, giving them eternal life. Rely on God's power. The harvest can be great. Look what happened here. They, they pulled up more fish than they could ever imagine. You know what he's saying to them? You think that's, that's nothing. Wait till you see what we're going to do with people. Remember when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and spoke? How many people were saved that day? 3,000, and not too long after that, 5,000 more. That's a lot of fish. That's why Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I have done. May we be disciples of our Savior, Jesus Christ, giving our lives and service for Him, taking the good news to this community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great passage. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. Lord, thank you that Jesus Christ indeed is the Savior. He is God. He is Just by looking at Him in the Bible, we can see that He has the power over nature and demons and disease and, and death and forgiveness of sins. He's everything. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has never trusted Jesus, they'll trust Him right now. And then, Lord, for all of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray that we'll become your disciples, that we'll offer our lives as living sacrifices, that we'll say to you, Lord, well, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want us to do. We want our lives to count for you. Thank you, Lord. We know we will never be the same. Lord, would you use us to catch people that we would be looking for the opportunities, we'd be prepared to share our faith, and we would share our faith when the time comes. Thank you, Lord, for all of this. We ask this in Jesus' name.